We are continuing today our conversation about authority and uh, nearly at the end of a very long uh, track of conversations about this this uh, topic. And, and it's really there, uh, for me, I enjoy talking about theological issues, et cetera, but I think for, for all of us, theology is important, but practicality means everything. So a lofty theology without practicality for me is, it doesn't have much traction. So I believe that we can go deep in God's word and yet at the same time we can pull out of that what's, what is applicable to us tomorrow morning at nine in the morning from, from nine to five. And I think that's what we see today, something very profound uh, in, in the scripture when we're looking at the authority of Christ. So I, I, my last name is McCoy, obviously, and uh, so probably the most common question that I have been asked a gajillion times, are you the real McCoy? Yes, sir. And uh, when you look at the history of how that name came to be, the real McCoy, uh, it's interesting. It's actually hard to find the origin. Uh, there's a guy in Canada back in the 1800s that had some uh, lubricating oil for steam engines, and his was the real deal. His name was McCoy. They, some, they say it was you know, due to that. There was a poem written in, uh, I think, uh, Scotland, and they used the word real McKay, and that became the real McCoy. Um, there's some, uh, there was some, uh, a famous rum runner uh, we won't talk about him. We uh, kind of kicked him out of the family tree, et cetera. But I think in life, we want the real McCoy. Uh, we want the real deal. We want to know if we're buying something. If we buy, you know, if when we buy a, a couch, we know it's not going to be real leather. It's going to be the fake leather. And we know that. But if you're going to buy something that's nice, you want to say, hey, is this, is this the thing? I love uh, these shows where, you know, that's a pawn store, store uh, pawn store. I just want to make sure I said that right. Um, a, <laughs> uh, a uh, you know, an antique store, and they'll go in and they'll have somebody's signature. You know, I've got so 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 signature, and then they call in an expert, and then the guy's got the magnifying glass, and he's really, and they're just making sure that it's authentic. So when we come to this this m- most important intersection of our lives when we're gonna choose a faith. And we're going to say, is this the real deal? I think often people choose their faith by what I'm gonna call systems. That there's a system to, to different faiths and you can say, well, this particular system is, states that there are many, many gods, many, many divine beings and and there is a, a system where, depending on how you live, depends on what happens in the next life. There's a sense of karma, and, and we're brought back to this life in a different way, reincarnation. That would be a system. There's a system that says uh, that uh, you can reach a certain level of utopic spirituality called nirvana on this planet, and, and you'd get there by lowering yourself, reducing yourself more and more so that you can reach. That's a, that's a system. There's a system that says that there's a divine being, a creator of the universe that sent his own boy to the earth, a son. And this son was pure and sinless, didn't have any fractures of human, humanity that we all face because he came through a virgin. 
And you have to think of someone that's unfamiliar with that system. They're looking in and like, wow, okay, all of them require a certain level of faith. And this sinless son of a creator came and then died as a martyr uh, for humanity, truly, and then came back to, from the dead. That's a, that, that's, those are bullet points. There are some systems that don't include God that, you, you, that are more uh, humanistic and existential things that are happening here on the earth. So some people believe in a system and they can leave God out of that system because even in America, I think it's something that we have to be careful of because some people have chosen Christianity because that's the system that seems familiar to them because that's what they grew up in. I grew up in church 18 years from literally two weeks old, and that was Christianity was a very familiar system. Everything else seemed, all other faith systems seemed foreign to me, and it was easy for me to call myself a Christian because the system was familiar. And I equated my embracing of the system, the familiarity of the that particular faith approach, Christianity, and I embraced that intellectually. And if you had asked me when I was 17 years old, enough to make a decision, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, when you asked me, what is your faith preference? What do you, what is, who are you? I would say, I'm a Christian because I, I embraced the, the, the method, the approach, the system. Are you following Okay, we're going to think a little bit. But behind each system is a person. And when we look at that person, that's what matters because we want to put the magnifying glass on that person to see, in fact, if they are authentic. It doesn't matter what kind of system you have that looks great on paper. If there is a Bernie Madoff behind it, then it doesn't matter how great the system looks because there's a, there's a, a, a corruption or there is a, a, uh, an inauthenticity. So we look at Jesus. We could look at each faith leader around the world if we had hours today, but we're going to look at Jesus and, uh, and see if there is an authenticity that is worth looking for. Now, many of us sitting in this room have chosen Christianity, have chosen Christ. I understand that fully. But Christianity, our faith in Christ, is never meant to be great. I received it, I own it now, and I'm all good. Christ asks us then to multiply and be able to articulate the distinction of Jesus. So sometimes when we hear a topic and we open the Word of God, it's easy to say, I kind of already know that, and I get that. But it's good to remind ourselves from time to time the distinction of who Jesus is and perhaps others, if you have the time and the energy to study, the distinction of Jesus so that we can tell others in simple, practical ways. All right, we jump in today. In Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, verse 23. The scene is that Jesus is entering the worship area, the temple courts. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, 
the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. These were the religious leaders of the day. And they said, we'd like to check your authenticity. Are you the real thing? We want to put a magnifying glass on you. By what authority are you doing these miracles? And who gave you this authority? They wanted to know if Jesus was the real deal. Jesus, being wise as he was, often answered a question with a question. He understood that they had rejected, these religious leaders had rejected John the Baptist and his baptism. So he says, Jesus replied, verse 24, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, then I'll answer you. I'll tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, he said. Where did it come from? Was it authentic? Was it from heaven or was it from men? So they huddled up, they discussed it among themselves, and they say, wow, okay, if we say it's from heaven, he's going to ask, then why didn't you believe in him? If we say, but if we say, well, it's from men, we're kind of freaked out about the people or afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was from God. He was a prophet. So they answered, Jesus, we don't know. <laughs> Pretty smart answer. We don't know. And then he says, not a problem. Neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. It must have been a blast to hang around Jesus. Because if you were the disciples, you were super close to him, and that, you know somebody asked him a really hard, penetrating question, it's almost like you'd probably stop, and you'd like, how is he going to... And then he answered, like, mm-hmm, I'm with him. Yep. I'm good to go with that guy. You see, when things are inauthentic, they eventually run into a dead end. These guys were inauthentic. It wasn't the real deal. And the same could have been asked about Jesus. In fact, that's what they were going to ask him. Was he consistent from beginning to end? So Jesus, as you know, then began to do miracles. And it's interesting about the miracles and the things that he spoke that people began to notice this guy is different. Not only by how he says things, his command on the scriptures at the time, but also by the miracles that were emanating from his life and the interaction he had with people. Watch this. In Mark chapter 127, the people were so all amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching, and with such authority, he even gives orders to evil spirits, and they obey him. They begin to take note. Wow, this guy must be from God. In fact, Nicodemus, you might remember him. He was checking Jesus out, pushing his authenticity, seeing if Jesus was the real McCoy. And he, they came to him at night. John chapter 3, verse 2, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. He said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. How? For no one could perform the miraculous signs that you were doing if God were not with them. So it was the miraculous signs that became an indicator that Jesus was the real McCoy. There's a problem. There were those in the scriptures that if we just based the miracles and the, and the supernatural phenomena, if we just say, well, that's why Jesus was real, he was the real deal, 
there's a little bit of a break in that theory, taking it from the viewpoint of a skeptic. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. There were those in the Bible who were not from God that did supernatural, they uh, uh, surrounded supernatural phenomena. In Acts chapter 8, for example, there was a man named Simon. He was a sorcerer. We're told that Simon practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. It wasn't just a sleight of hand card trick. There are, there are darker supernatural powers. Do you remember Moses? God called Moses to draw, to lead the people out of Egypt. And so Moses said, they're not gonna think I'm the real McCoy. I'm gonna go up there, I'm gonna make a fool out of myself. I don't speak all that well. Can I bring my brother? You know, most of you know the story. And God said, then let me work through you miracles so that they will believe you. So he shows up. God didn't give him the whole story because I think if he did, he probably never would have gone. He shows up and he, God says, hey, what's that in your hand? It was a staff, kind of like we would say a walking stick. He says, throw it down. And it became a snake. Well, for me, I'd be like, okay, well, that's, that's good enough, right? He shows up to the leader of Egypt and said, let me give you proof. He throws the, the staff down, it becomes a snake. The leader of Egypt says, no problem. Call the magicians. Magicians came in, had a staff, just like Moses, threw it down, it became a snake. What are you thinking if you're Moses? <laughs> he didn't tell me that. He didn't tell me they had guys with staffs that could turn into snakes. But there's something that is interesting that happens. The snake that was created from the, the staff of, it was Aaron's staff, the, the staff that Moses threw down, ate the snake that the one the magicians threw down. As if God were saying, I know you got your tricks, but I'm going to trump that. And then you might remember next, the next thing that Moses had up, or I should say God had up his sleeve, we're going to take the Nile River and we're going to turn water into blood. Magicians came along from Egypt. Guess what? They turned it into blood. Each of these had emphasis and meaning, by the way. These weren't just a bunch of tricks. These things that were happening, the Nile River was sacred to them. The Egyptians worshipped frogs, much like Hindus, are, cows are sacred. You can't kill a cow. Egyptians couldn't kill a frog. So God says, we're going to fill the whole place with frogs. So Moses said, hey, let the frogs come forth, blah, 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 blah. And the Egyptian magician said, hey, let the frogs come forth. You know what's crazy about it? All the things that were magicians were doing were making it worse. <laughs> hey, the frogs are coming. They're piling up. Hey, let's make some more frogs. Kind of stupid, really. <laughs> and then there were, then there were gnats. Some, some have like, uh, some uh, translations have lice. There, you know, that, that there were bugs and, and, and all of a sudden they couldn't do that. So it was kind of like, it was kind of like supernatural throwdown. You know, who can do it? But here's the thing that I want us to see. And all of that, that, that supernatural throwdown between Moses and the magicians of Egypt, none of them could reverse the curse. So when Moses said, let the frogs saturate the land, 
you would think the magicians would say, no problem, I'll take them away. They just added to the problem. Here come the, you know, here's the water. They just added more blood and water. They just added more blood and water. Why didn't they come and reverse the plague? Because they couldn't. Only God can reverse a curse. This is the power of Christ. He didn't come and do magic tricks. He came and reversed diseases. He came and reversed the dark powers. He came and reversed oppression. He came and reversed unforgiveness. He came to reverse the uh, marginalization of those that were in society that everybody wouldn't touch. He came to reverse sin. So Christ comes and by his power, it was always life-giving because he reversed the thing. And then he does the ultimate reversal. The thing that is unparalleled in history, he reversed man's greatest fear, death. I mean, when things happen to you, I often ask myself this question. I get on an airplane, and I travel a lot, and I'm like, what's the worst can happen? Well, I die. And once you face that the worst that could happen, then you can just, you know, chill out, order a Coke, and eat some pretzels, right? Because, well, this is the worst that can happen. Something is happening in your body. Something is happening at your workplace. Something is happening in your family. And you say, what's the worst that can happen? Well, the ultimate worst thing that can ever happen to a human being is death. And Christ came to reverse the worst of the curse that just came to me. Write that down. <laughs> that may be a t-shirt, who knows. Watch this. I want you to see the reaction, particularly to the reversal of death. See, they, he was doing miracles. People were like, wow, that's amazing. But when he brought something back from the dead, something happened and the reaction, watch this. You remember Lazarus, a friend of Jesus? He died, Jesus delayed in getting there. He'd been in the grave for a number of days. He called him out of death. And then Lazarus, as we would, began to tell others about it. John chapter 12 and verse nine. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there at this particular location and came. Not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus. Well, I would too. This guy was dead for a few days. I'd like to see what he looks like. I mean, I know what I look like after I've had the flu. I wonder what he looks like after he's been dead. <laughs> he came to, they came to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the religious folks, the chief priests, made plans to kill Lazarus as well. Why? Because on account of the reversal of death, on the count of Lazarus, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him because they saw that he was the real McCoy. This is the ultimate fear that all of us have, and this man, Christ, is reversing it. It wasn't just a system. Christ was proving that he was the real, say it with me, exactly. You know, when the disciples and the apostles began after Christ had died, come back from the dead, gone to heaven, they began to, of course, tell this story. 
And when they told the story, it was the resurrection that caused an adverse reaction. They would go through the story of Christ, tell, you know, give some Old Testament scriptures to confirm that Jesus was who he said he was, blah, 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 and they're telling the story. And when they got to the resurrection, it was the thing that really caused the reaction. Watch this, Acts chapter four, verse one. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, more religious folks, came to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed. Why? Because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming Jesus the, resur- and the, re- and Jesus the resurrection of the dead. That was the thing that really ticked them off. They seized in, John ch- in Acts, chapter three, uh, Acts chapter four, verse three, they seized Peter and John because it was evening and they put them in jail till the next day. But many who heard the message about the resurrection believed and the number of men grew to about 5,000. You see, it was no longer that Jesus just did miracles. It was that he had reversed the the ultimate curse of humanity, death. It was the ultimate sign of authority. And then Jesus, in John chapter 10, says something of of absolute apex authority, that it gets no higher than this. Watch this. In John chapter 10, verse 17, Jesus said, the reason that my father loves me is that I lay down my life. He's talking about that he came to earth for a purpose, to serve humanity And because he was a sinless uh, man, wasn't contaminated with the sin that we have within us, he came to earth to lay his life down, to put himself on a cross, to shed the blood that that would cleanse humanity because there's life in the blood. And I know if you're not familiar with with the Bible, like, wow, that's kind of crazy, but blood is not yucky, it's life. If we don't have blood, we don't live. And And there was such a consistency through history because this is how God made at-one-ment between humanity and himself by having a sacrifice that shed blood instead of us paying the penalty someone else did. Christ came as that ultimate, the, the, the culmination of something that had been in place for many centuries. Christ came, he laid down his life, and if there were one person, if you were the only person on earth, he still would have done the same because he recognized out of compassion that you couldn't help yourself. That it was a curse that you couldn't swim above. And Christ came to reverse that curse of unforgiveness of sin and through the power of the cross, he laid his life down, okay? So the reason my father loves me, Jesus says, is that I lay down my life only to take it up again, to come back from the dead. Watch, here it is. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Here it is. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Who on earth? could have ever made that claim to have the authority not only to give your life, some could say that, but to have the authority and the power to bring your life back from the dead. You see, this is not about a system. It's who's behind the system. It's who's behind the virgin birth and the cross and the resurrection. It's Christ who is the real McCoy because he has reversed the curse that is ultimate to the human race. 
and 12 of you are very excited about that, I can tell. <laughs> Here's where it impacts our life. Because let's face it, this, is pretty, this can be pretty lofty. You know, the, the power of the resurrection and supernatural phenomena, et cetera, et cetera. But here's where it makes a difference. I look around this room, and I understand, because I know many of you, I know some of the things that you face. I know that some of you are wrestling through health issues. Some of you are getting ready to leave the country <laughs> and see a, a whole new world, and what is that going to be like, and how are things going to fall into place? Some of you got kids going to school for the first time this year. Some of you are teachers, and I can see it in your eyes. Here we go. <laughs> Some of you are stressed at work. Some of you got a job that's not the best. You got a supervisor that you wish would be anybody but that person. Some of you are grieving. Some of you are working through divorce and the aftermath of that. It's just life, isn't it? It's life. And it's heavy. The resurrection, listen, is not a systematic theology. It's a person. And if Christ weren't the real McCoy, and he were laying like every other faith leader in the world in some grave in the Middle East, then who is it that's going to look into your life and understand like Christ did? Well, you could say, well, the creator of the universe not until he walked the earth and could empathize and sympathize, as we're told in the Bible, with every temptation and every weakness and every pain and every weakness and every sickness and all the weight that we have as human beings. That's why he wept at Lazarus' funeral. His funeral. He said he looked around and saw the grief and then Christ wept and he got us. And because he got us, it was just like, oh, cool. We had a religious leader somewhere in history that got us. We've got a, we have a leader who got us while he was on earth, but he came back from the dead so he can get us today. That's the difference. The apostle John in the book of Revelation saw Christ. He saw Christ because Christ is alive. And he encountered the living Christ face to face. And I want you to take note of what Jesus said to him. Revelation chapter 1, 17, John said, When I saw him, Christ, I fell at his feet as though I were dead. And in other words, freaked out completely. Then Jesus placed his right hand on me, and he says, what he alone can only say, do not be afraid. Christ could say that, and the only one that could say that is because he overcame the ultimate curse of humanity, and he could say that because he had gone through the portal of death and come out the other side alive, and because of that, he could put his hand on your shoulder today and say, don't be afraid because he's alive. If he's dead, forget it. He ain't saying nothing. But because he's alive, because he walked here, he can say that. And then watch, he says, I'm the first and the last. I was here a long time before you got here. I'll be here. I was here a long time afterwards. 
And he says, he describes himself, I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. This is not a system. This is a savior. This is not a process. This is a person. The person of Jesus saying, I'm alive. And then he says this. He says, let me show you my keys. You see, by the way, this is my key. This is the key to my car right here. You can have it if you want it. <laughs> you haven't seen my car. It's my, I have the, when I have a key, I have the authority to drive my car. You don't have the authority. You don't have the capacity to, draw, to, to drive my car because you don't have the key, the thing that turns it on. Jesus said, let me tell you about my authority. I hold the keys of death and Hades. I hold the authority over the thing that you as human beings fear the most. So guess what? Don't freak out. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Many of you know probably the worst day of my life. I've shared it with you. Halloween night, 2001, 5.30. 5.30 p.m., I get a phone call from the head surgeon of a hospital in Virginia. Your father's been in a car accident, and the word that he used was grave. It's grave. My father and I were very, very close. I took piano lessons all my childhood, and he's the one that drove me every week. We had a very close one-to-one -one relationship. I was struck. I was decimated. I fell on my bed, face down. I prayed. I prayed, God, please, God, please, God, please, God, please, God, please, over and over. God, please, God, please save him. Until after an hour of praying, I said, I'm praying the wrong prayer. God, your will be done. And I release him to you. And two minutes later, I got the phone call. Your father passed. You see, in the worst moments of our life, we can release it. And the only re reason I could release my father was because I knew Jesus was alive and would receive him. You see? It's in the worst moments that theology doesn't really matter a lot. The person of Jesus does. That's the difference. Let me leave you this one with you. Stephen, the first martyr, getting ready to be killed. When he's getting ready to die in Acts chapter 7, 56, he said, look, I see heaven open. I don't see a theology book. I see Jesus, the Son of Man, standing at the right hand of God. What is it that you are going through on this very day? Christ says, look up and see the person of Christ because he's gone through every single thing that we have and yet he's alive to put his hand on your shoulder and say, don't be afraid. Let's pray. Father, thank you for understanding our weight. Thank you for weeping at Lazarus' funeral, Jesus. In that moment, understanding exactly who we are.
Now, God, we have not only hope beyond death and the grave, but God, we have confidence right here, right now, as Jesus puts his hand on our shoulder because he is alive to say, do not be afraid. I wonder, God, today, who is here who's afraid? They're looking into the eyes of something that is beyond them, that is higher than them, deeper than them, wider than them, fierce, perhaps. Perhaps it's something small. That is, it's, it's a situation at work. It's a situation in finances. It's sending your child for the very first time to a big school that they've never been. And for you, for you that's a mountain. Christ puts his hand on your shoulder today and says, don't be afraid because he can. God, thank you for the power of Jesus. You would not have that power if you were not the real deal. If you had talked about great things and taught great things and yet was not alive today, God, we just simply have a great system by a, a smart theologian. But we, God, have the person of Jesus alive today, interacting in a customized way in our lives. Unbelievable, God. Beyond our, beyond our ability to comprehend. And yet, on those days where the worst days of our lives, God, we know that Christ is alive. can't help but wonder, God, today for those who are seeking you, searching for you, and, and maybe have not really put words on it, not able to define it. Perhaps, God, today looking for a system, and today, instead of a system, they find a Savior, a person of Jesus. Is that you today? If you've come searching for God, you're amongst good, a good crowd because so many of us have been on that search only to find not a theology, a system, approach, a method, but we found Christ. That's who you're looking for, not a religion, not a church, but a person. His name is Jesus. Jesus died for you on the cross to remove your sin, to wash it, away as if it didn't exist so that he could have a clean relationship with you, a warm and personal relationship with you to interact with the creator who made you. Would you come to him today? Would you make that step towards him? Instead of depending on your own self, your own system, your own behavior, say I am going to completely depend on Christ's gift to me and in your own raw language God I need you God I need you I need a savior I need a new life I need a, a new direction I need Christ in my life
take my old life, God, and I exchange it for your new one. Maybe that's your prayer in your own language today. Father, we end this day as we began in worship and thankfulness. God, we pray especially for teachers and principals today starting this new school year. Pray, God, for, for the infusion of the Holy Spirit in our school systems and the homeschool systems and, and private schools and public schools, Christian schools. God, pray that we won't completely uh, come off track, but God, you would keep us on track by those who are in each of those systems who are Christ followers to bring the light that is so needed. We pray for parents. We pray, God, for as they release their children, God, would you protect the schools in this county? We pray for the kids, God, that they would be light wherever they go. Thank you, Father, for being alive today. Our hearts are encouraged. Our hearts are hopeful. Our hearts are confident today because Christ is alive. We pray these things in his name. Amen.